It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I love 40s. Happy Monday. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 606 of Locked on Raptors for Monday, November the 18th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked on Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams covered as well. The NHL network is continuing to fill out. I believe we have only six local shows left to fill, so odds are your favorite hockey team is covered over there. We've got all the Canadian teams covered if you're a listener to this podcast and are partial to those Canadian teams, so please make sure you're checking them out on whatever podcast platform you prefer, and if you want to support one of the shows, please subscribe, rate, and review. It's the very best way to help us out, and it costs no money to do that, so thank you in advance for taking the very small amount of time it requires to leave a rating or a review. All right, on today's show, it's just me uh, talking about the Raptors' 110-102 loss to the Dallas Mavericks on Saturday to close out the road trip 3-2. and two. Honestly, it's hard to be really mad about anything. This has kind of been, you know, I, I've been saying all season long, this is the Hakuna Matata season, so not any loss is really going to affect me all that much. This one, pretty understandable, I think. A very tired team at the end of a road trip. Pascal Siakam had played 40-plus minutes, I believe, in every game on the road trip, or maybe uh, four of the five. At least all the ones where Kyle Lowry's been hurt. Pretty heavy minutes load once again for Pascal. The Mavericks are a talented team, and they have one of the 10 or 15 best players in the world in Luka Doncic. And... The Raptors' sort of defensive system that we talked about with Joe Wolfond on Thursday, where it really sells out to stop stars, was put up against uh, another stiff test, and the returns were not especially great on this one. You know, they held Luka Doncic to 5 of 14 from the field, which was good, but he got to the line a shit ton, and he was carving the Raptors up with his passing. And uh, we'll get into sort of some of the ways that the Mavericks and Rick Carlisle adapted to the Raptors' sellout to stop the Stars' defensive system. I thought it was a really well and interestingly coached game from both teams. Uh, Nick Nurse and Rick Carlisle, both very good at their jobs, and I thought it was kind of cool to see them go back and forth. And um, I think sort of the 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 shifts in momentum and ability and you know just the the flow of the game between the first and second and third quarters kind of it were indicative of really good coaching and then I think the fourth quarter was just sort of an example of the Raptors running out of gas entirely so we'll get all into that game also to wrap up the show today I will talk about the ring controversy about how uh, you know Jonas Valanciunas, Delon Wright, and C.J. Miles reportedly, per Mike Ganter of the Sun, shouts to Gumby, are not going to receive rings for the championship season, which is uh, interesting, has made some people mad. I was initially kind of mad and still a little bit miffed about it, but also I get it, I suppose. I'll get into that at the end of the show. Um, but yeah, let's get into this Mavericks game. Uh, the Raptors, of course, 110-102 losers. 
again, hard to be really upset about anything. This was a successful road trip considering the circumstances, considering the injuries, and considering even healthy, I think, Two and three would have been a nice trip for the Raptors here. They end up going three and two, and we'll go back home to face a couple pretty easy teams this week in the Hornets and the Magic, and I don't think the loss to the Mavericks is going to derail them all that much. Um, But just a a pretty nice, tidy road trip for the Raptors that was really inspiring in in a lot of instances, and we got to see sort of the full breadth of this team and the full breadth of the Pascal Siakam experience and, uh, you know, some nice performances here and there from guys that you weren't expecting. And I think the Raptors come back from this trip in a much better state than I would have expected, considering the injuries, considering the fact that they went into the trip with like an eight-man rotation that had been cut down to seven with Patrick McCaw being injured. They come home with, you know, 11 or so guys who I think Nick Nurse in a pinch is going to be able to trust, uh, and maybe even 12 once Patrick McCaw gets back. So that's nice. And, and, you know, they're a week closer to Kyle Lowry coming back. Might even be by the end of this week where we start to hear some news about him. The two-week deadline for him to be reevaluated is this coming Friday. So, uh, here, here's hoping. It's it's pretty soon. The Raptors play the Sixers next Monday. And that sort of seems to be the game most people are circling. So, here's hoping. And there's not that much time left to fill for this very stretched-thin Raptors team. Uh, and not exactly a terribly difficult schedule this week either. So, that is positive in terms of the Mavericks game some of the things that went wrong look this was Pascal Siakam's worst game of the season I think by far and credit to the Mavericks they played a really sound defensive game against him Maxi Kleber always seems to punk the Raptors whenever he's playing and he seems just like an extremely Rick Carlisle player I don't know he, he's just really solid his defense on Siakam in one-on-one coverage was really really excellent and you know I think there was maybe a bit of a uh, not-so-generous whistle when it came to Pascal Siakam in this game, considering the amount of times he posted up, the amount of times he just shot, period. He had 24 attempts in this game, um, and just the amount of sort of battering he took as he did his sort of spin-move stuff near the basket. It felt like maybe three free-throw attempts was a little bit low for him, but, you know, the credit to the Mavericks. They, they still played a really good defensive game on him. I think they did a pretty good job of, when possible, not sending extra attention to Siakam and sort of relying on the one-on-one ability of Maxi Kleber because, you know, there was not a ton of situations where the Raptors were able to, you know, get a big swing going around the horn out of a Siakam pass from the post because he kind of was, you know, a little bit tunnel vision-y and also I think was sort of sizing up those one-on-one matchups and saying, I don't need to pass out of this. Still, though, Siakam had seven assists in this game. Uh, A lot of sort of interesting stuff under the basket. That was one of the nice adjustments, I thought, he made in the second half was, um, you know, as he was posting up with that single coverage, you know, he was finding cutters. I think he found OG for a dunk, if I'm not mistaken, at one point. Uh, maybe Norm at another point, too. Ronda Hellish Jefferson. Like, there was a nice, uh, I think, commitment to playmaking for Siakam in this game. It's just the offense was really labored, and, and I think he was exhausted. I really do. I think in this, in sort of the second half, you could see him almost just, like, dreading the idea of even driving, just being like, eh, really, do I gotta do this? I'm just gonna jack up this three here. Um, you could see sort of the threes he was putting up were almost just like, just get this ball out of my damn hands, please, and just throwing him up without much in the way of, you know, square to the basket feet or balance or follow through or whatever. Um, and it just seemed like sort of a, a thing where Pascal really, really wanted his own bed and was quickly trying to get to the end of the game so he could get to his own bed, um, which I mean, is fair, man. And look, it's not the most encouraging game we've seen from Pascal. This is sort of the growing pains I think we were all sort of expecting. There are going to be games where he goes 6 of 24 and 2 of 10 from downtown and is terribly 
incredibly inefficient and uh, sort of derails a bunch of Raptors possessions because he's just sort of figuring out what to do with all the extra defense defensive attention coming his way. Um, but I think this shouldn't detract from what he's done so far this year. I don't think this means Pascal is like in line for a crazy regression from where he's been. Um, this was just a, a particularly tough game. The Mavericks did a good job of, of just defending him in single coverage, which is not something most teams can do. And, you know, the nice thing is the Raptors won't have to worry about playing the Mavericks in a finals or anything like that or in the playoffs. So um, that's one of the teams that potentially has a bit of an answer for Siakam that's off the board in terms of it really mattering. And again, I think he'll kind of bounce back here. The minutes total is getting a little concerning for him, but I also don't know what else you could really expect. I do think it's encouraging that once they get back to health and Kyle's back and Serge is back and even when McCaw's back, once the rotation sort of settles into what it's going to be at close to full health, I think we'll see Rondé Hollis-Jefferson soak up a lot of those minutes at the four. He's, I think, earned it. And if you can bring Siakam down to like 34, 35 minutes a game, because he's still very effective when he's on the floor, and I think you can kind of get by with that. I mean, he's got the best on-court net rating on the team by far outside of Terrence Davis and... Like, I think 34-35 is probably the sweet spot for him to maximize his energy without taking him off the floor for too many minutes. That's going to hurt you. And with the way Rondé's played and the way he seems to fit in really nicely at the four, and I think especially as sort of a screener from the four where you can space with whatever shooting big you have out there, whether it's Chris Boucher and bench units or whether it's Ibaka when he's back or Gasol, I think there's a really nice, easy fit there for Rondé to pick up of the 20 minutes he probably deserves, 15 or so of those minutes right there at the at the four behind Siakam. It seems like a pretty easy fit to me, and it sort of helps bring down the minutes for Siakam. Um, and the same way, you know, with Terrence Davis, the way he's played and the way Matt Thomas played on Saturday, maybe he's deserving of some more minutes in matchups where um, he's not going to get too killed defensively. I think you're kind of seeing the blueprint for how they're going to trim down the minutes of Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet as well, you know, and also with Norman Powell playing pretty well over this trip, minus the one game against Portland. He had 26 points to lead the Raptors on Saturday, uh, really efficient, really within the flow of the offense, really eager and happy with the trigger finger from three without too much overthought or, you know, dribbling around and having weird pull-ups, a lot of catch-and-shoot stuff. That's great to see. Um, with the way the guard rotation seems to be filling out, similar to the way the power forward rotation is looking, I think there's a way here to trim down the minutes for uh, those guys in the backcourt as well. And I think, again, this all kind of all goes to the health of the team coming out of the trip looking to be much better than it was going in. And I think the, the performances of, of Davis and Hollis Jefferson in particular, Boucher to a lesser extent, who I think after his first two really good performances has kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, I, I think there's a, the makings of a real rotation here, finally, once things get going. And I think the Siakam minutes concerns and the Fred Van Vliet minutes concerns, they're always going to be part of the conversation when you're this short. I mean, you have to have those guys out there or you stand no chance. Like, they're two of the best guys on the team and also two of the only guys who can create for you. And so they have to be on the floor a lot if you want to have any, any any chance. And I think that'll be mitigated some once they get healthy and the way the rotation's filling out looks pretty good. And I think these minutes concerns will slowly go away and we'll look back a few months from now when the Raptors are rolling out a 10 deep rotation and saying, ha, remember when we were so worried about the seven man rotation and the crazy minutes totals? Um, and I think Nick Nurse knows too, right? right? You can't be having Siakam 
multiple times over the course of a week, just breaking down in the last you know quarter of a game just because he's so exhausted. And I think this will be a nice warning to everybody that that you know the the Energizer Bunny moniker that seems to have been attached to Siakam is not entirely fair to him and not entirely a sustainable way to go about playing your best player. And I think that will eventually be curbed. And we're mercifully getting closer to the return of some guys that I think will make it much easier to bring those minutes totals down. And look, I've been saying this for 12 games now. Maybe this will just be the way it goes all season long, and there'll be a high minutes, and it'll be game 58, and I'll be like, no, no, they're going to bring it down. Benefit of the doubt. I, I still think it's very early, and the circumstances have sort of dictated that they, these guys play a ton of minutes. So uh, I'm not super worried about it yet. We'll talk to me at the halfway point of the season if this is still a problem. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, some more from this game. This, again, was a really, really cool coaching battle. I think that was one of the most fun sort of subplots to this one, Um, aside from just watching Luka Doncic be a monster. It was watching how each team kind of reacted to runs for the other team, and you know, the Raptors, I don't think, really had much footing to react too much to what happened in the third quarter with the response in the fourth. I mean, they almost pulled it back anyway with Norm Powell going crazy in the final couple minutes, but um, I think they were just a little too exhausted to make any sort of concerted effort to come back. But when it came to quarters two and three, which were sort of the swing quarters for this game after Dallas got out to a pretty great start with a 32-22 first quarter, um, the Raptors in the second quarter, I think, really amped up their sort of Luka stopping uh, defensive system. They they forced the ball out of his hands quite a bit and, you know, dared guys like Kristaps Porzingis and Seth Curry and Dorian Finney-Smith to shoot threes. And that worked for them for quite a bit of this game. And still, the Mavs only shot 9 of 39 in this game. It felt like they were much better from downtown on this one um, because I think of what happened in the third and fourth. But in the second, they were ice cold. The Raptors were doing their thing where they were daring the supporting cast to beat them and forcing the ball to Luka Doncic's hands. And I thought it worked pretty well. In the third quarter, after the Raptors just like used that defensive system to create a bunch of turnovers and create a bunch of misses that they were running off of to create just a a dynamite transition offense, the Mavs really honed in. And you could see sort of the shades of this in the first quarter when their transition defense was excellent. They were doing a really good job of tracking back uh, off of misses and off of turnovers. And a couple times the Raptors, in situations where they'd normally just walk to a bucket, uh, were having to sort of stop and regroup and a lot of times missing out of that. So uh, you could see sort of the makings of a good transition defense in that first quarter. And in the third and fourth quarters combined, the Raptors scored exactly zero transition points because the Mavericks were so concerted in getting back. And And a big part of that was they were making a lot of shots as well. And that was, I think, a a 
product of what they did offensively, which was take the ball to Lucas' hands a little bit, use him as sort of a, an off-ball gravity source, and they really just got some beautiful swing actions going. I think there were three or four different examples of, uh, on my timeline at least, people tweeting clips of the game to the starters or to the no-dunks ink guys uh, and you know asking Lee Ellis to dub it the very solid play of the game. There were like four or five very solid plays from the Mavericks in the third quarter alone, and you know as much as the Raptors defense tried to keep them in it and they only gave up 25 points in that third quarter and I thought their defense was mostly pretty good in terms of tracking and rotating and rotating and all that stuff it only you know there's only so much you can do once the Mavericks start whipping the ball around like that and it sort of extended over to the fourth quarter as well and I think the Raptors were just too tired to keep up with it but um, they, they did a really good job of you know changing up what they were doing not having Luka be on the ball so much and, you know, they gave the ball to Seth Curry and DeLon Wright in particular, who was just dynamite in the second half. He had 15 points. He was 6 of 8. He had uh, an assist, 3 steals, 4 boards. He was great. And them doing that and getting the ball out of Lucas' hands sort of threw the Raptors' defense for a loop a little bit because I think the Raptors went in assuming Luka was going to have the ball in his hands a ton, which he did still. I mean, he took 14 shots. He went to the line 19 times um, and got a pretty favorable whistle, I thought. But you know, the, the, the Raptors, I think, were sort of expecting a, even more of a, he, a Luka-heavy offense where it, it, sort of thinking like, oh, it's going to be like it, it is with Dame, where Dame runs a lot of high pick and roll, and he's constantly running the show, and that's typically what they do in Dallas, but um, not so much the case in this one, and they were kind of burned by the, the, the sort of loop that Dallas threw for them. Uh, and, and look, they still, I think stood a chance of winning this game if their offense had been a little bit better the Raptors in the third quarter and the fourth quarter like if they weren't so exhausted I still think their defense worked to pretty good effect I mean they only gave up 40 42 percent from the field continuing their excellent defense on the season only 9 of 39 from deep as I mentioned earlier and you know the the thing of forcing Maxi Kleber and Kristaps Porzingis and Dorian Finney-Smith into taking threes actually worked and you know I think it was just like a hot run where they kind of got beat and I know we've talked about how this team is never out of it because they can make a million stops in a row and still you know make weather through some some tough offense but not quite the case in this one and I think we kind of saw the limitations of the all defense very little offense setup the Raptors have been going with as they've been shorthanded that is going to turn around obviously and I still think the signs that this team is showing on defense and sort of when you factor in that Kyle Lowry's a borderline All-NBA defender and when you factor in Serge Ibaka coming in to help as well, like this defense is going to remain ridiculous and the offense should tick back up to closer to top 10 um, like it was when they had Kyle. It was, I believe, the number seven offense when Kyle went down and I think that should be sort of where they're at. Considering the strides Pascal's made, I don't think it's, like, this is not going to be the 15th ranked offense. It is right now, um, and it's kind of dropped off over the last week here because they've been just sort of trying to coast by on this all-defense, very stagnant, sticky hope we can scrape by offense and I don't think that's going to be the case once they get everybody back so there's not too much reason for concern they're the number five defense in the league they have the best opposing field goal percentage allowed they have been absurd and so I think it's reasonable to assume that uh, things are going to snap back and they're going to be close to top 10 in both categories uh, once Kyle and Serge and the rest of the crew are back other lingering notes from this game, I think Pat, Matt Thomas being 4 of 5 and 2 of 2 from deep and just continuing the legend of his shooting is uh, a lot of fun. He still can't defend a lick, and it's uh, troublesome, and he's never going to be able to play in like a high-level playoff series, I fear, but uh, still really cool to be able to throw him in for 17 minutes and to see the way 
opposing defenses are already selling their souls to stop him is really fun, and he already has a gravity to him, which I did not expect to have for a dude who just came over from Europe and has taken like 23s, but the word is out. The Alex Wong gospel has reached the uh, rest of the league, and I think, you know, it's going to be... There are going to be a lot of times where you can just throw Matt Thomas out there and help grease things up for your offense. And and it's going to have to be in situations where he can be out there to defend someone who does not need a lot of defensive attention. You know, it's going to be a you know a case-by-case thing as to whether or not Matt Thomas is going to be in it. It might be a matter of if he's hitting his shots or if teams are letting him open to take those shots, then maybe you're, you can get a bye with it a little bit longer. But there are only so many guys he can guard, right? And so I wouldn't expect that Matt Thomas is going to become a staple of every single game. But that said, I mean, if you're looking for instant offense and instant spacing and a way to sort of grease up some bench units which might be a little bit shooting starved and a little bit offense starved um whether it's right now while they're while they're shorthanded or once Kyle gets back um I I think Matt Thomas can work and I think if you surround him with enough good defenders and like the Raptors have good defenders everywhere this is the thing is Matt Thomas is the only minus defender on this team so when you factor that in I mean it becomes a little bit more palatable to have him out there with four good defenders and put him on the least threatening offensive player on the opposition especially if it's against the second unit I'm sure there's someone out there who's not exactly terrifying you know if you put him on in the Mavericks case Dorian Finney-Smith for example like that's doable because Dorian Finney-Smith is not a good offensive player Um, and there are going to be plenty of teams where they come across a guy that Matt Thomas can be on and not die Um, and I hope they continue to throw him out there because it's fun to watch him he's like already a cult hero and he should already be in the three-point contest and to see like the the translation of his shooting from Europe to the NBA and actually have like an uptick is is pretty amazing and I uh, I hope they continue to roll him out there because it's fun to watch if it, even if there's like four or five defensive possessions where you don't even know what the hell is going on and he's falling asleep and he's running around without even really an idea of who he's supposed to be guarding it's almost made up for instantly by every three he makes because it's just so damn fun to watch him shoot. It's it's like a beautiful stroke. It's an enjoyable thing to watch. And in this season of low stakes, I'm, I'm in for a couple second quarter and third quarter stretches where Matt Thomas is going to be out there bombing threes and even while leaking defensively because he's so rad. Uh, so that's all I got in this Mavericks game. Like, it's hard to be too upset. It's, you know, it, it was a, a good road trip altogether. Three and two, you can't really complain. And they get to come back home. Home to play the Hornets and the Magic this week. They should be kind of back in line to get on the roll here before they start getting some bodies back and things really t- take off. Um, and considering the state of the Eastern Conference, too, it, it just, it, it's, they're in a pretty good spot here. They got this road trip out of the way. You know, looking at this road trip, I think I talked about this before the, se- the season started. I was kind of concerned maybe they'd even be like sub 500 coming back from this road trip because it was a tough one early in the schedule where maybe things would not be totally clicking just yet as they were working in new pieces and trying to get the bench guys figured out and you know not quite having much of an identity in the wake of Kawhi leaving that was obviously wrong and they found an identity quite quite quickly and Pascal Siakam has already done a lot more than I think anyone would have expected and Fred Van Vliet's better than expected and they, they weathered this injury ridden trip a lot better than I ever could have hoped for um, and so, you know, they're already, I think, ahead of the curve a little bit 
on this season, being eight and four after this road trip. And I think there's sort of green pastures ahead for a little while here. I think December is a super home heavy month as well. And that should be in line with getting some guys back. And, and you know, I, I, I now that they've got this rotation, it, it's, it's looking pretty exciting when you factor in the injuries to Chris Middleton and Gordon Hayward and, you know, the, the Sixers kind of going through it right now. There's a lot of opportunity to sort of pick up some wins here for the Raptors and maybe stake a claim to a higher seed than even the three seed they were uh, supposed to be in line for. Boston, you know, lost a game yesterday to the Kings. I feel like their start is a little bit smoke and mirrors considering how bad Jason Tatum's been and how weird their front court rotation is. And it feels like maybe they're in just like a post Kyrie honeymoon phase and they'll sort of come back down to earth a little bit. The Heat are really good, and that's a team to be worried about. And and sort of in, in terms of keeping pace with, that's uh, that's certainly a team you don't want to fall too far behind. But at the same time, they've been at close to full health with Jimmy Butler and you know the rest of their crew, minus like Dion Waiters, obviously, and I think Kelly Olynyk's been out. Um, but you know they've been close to full health, and they're still only a mid-table offense. The Raptors are directly behind the Heat in offense right now, and I think their their ceiling is much much higher once they get everybody back, considering the star power of Siakam and the shooting they have everywhere, and Gasol opening things up, despite him never ever shooting or being the worst post player in the league apparently now. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of excitement to be had about where this team's going. So uh, trip over, that's good, and we'll get on the other side to a quick discussion of the ring controversy going on after it was revealed that three members of the team from last year who got traded for uh, Marcus Gasol will not be getting rings. So we'll get to that in a second. But first, let me tell you about MyBookie. Use your basketball knowledge to prove you have what it takes at MyBookie.ag, where they make it easy to play and even easier to get paid. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA, and MyBookie will match 50% of your first deposit. Listening on the go, if you can't visit MyBookie right now because you're driving, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. That's LockedOnPodcasts, plural, dot slash offers the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date locked on nba Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so to close out the show today, we'll quickly touch on the news that Jonas Valanciunas, CJ Miles, and DeLon Wright will not be receiving championship rings from the team. Um, This was something that caused a little bit of a stir last night. I certainly am not thrilled about the news. I think... You know, the Raptors, while maybe as Bobby Webster in the piece written by Mike Gander, uh, as he outlined, you know, it's not traditionally done where teams will give rings to guys who were on the team but weren't there for the playoff run. Um, You know, this is not something that is typically a norm in the NBA. It just felt like maybe with all of the sort of magic tied up in the Raptors season and sort of this long run of six years leading to the championship, you know, being all part of the story and Jonas Valanciunas' contributions definitely being part of the story and Delon Wright and CJ Miles, while less so, were still a big part of that, you know, really fun 2017-18 year. And 
we're, we're part of the bench mob and are part of sort of the fabric of this team and, and the and the recent run, it felt like maybe they were going to do them a solid and give them a ring. And, you know, the way it was talked about in the offseason where Jonas Valanciunas was literally asked about whether he was getting a ring and he said, yeah, Kyle asked for my ring size. It feels a little bit like a bit of a blow now to see that he's not going to be getting that honor. And look, I mean... This is a weird thing because it does feel like we're sort of projecting onto Miles Wright and Valanciunas their desire to have a ring. Like, there's a very good chance that they don't even want a ring. They weren't part of the actual playoff run. They weren't there for the the, the shot or the comeback against Milwaukee or any of that. And I can imagine if I was in their shoes feeling a little bit cheap, if I was getting a real, like it it doesn't feel like it would be the real thing, you know? And I'm sure it wouldn't be the same level of ring. The rest of the team got It'd probably be something closer to like, like what, like the staff gets or whatever. But I still think there was, there'd be a little bit of a sort of cheapness to it. If I'm Valanchunas or Wright or Miles getting this ring that I was not actually there for Um, as much as they're part of the lead up to everything. And as much as the trade for Gasol was, vital to the Raptors winning the title, like, they're, you know, they're definitely part of the story, and I think Valanciunas in particular, considering how long of a tenure he had with the team, probably deserves a little bit of recognition for his role in the, in the road to the title, but I also get it from the Raptors' perspective, right? Like, they weren't there for the run, they weren't, you know, like, I don't, there was, I think there was this sort of, like, thought going around last night that if only they hadn't been traded for Marc Gasol, they would have won the ring. Like, I think that's incorrect. I don't think they win the title without Marc Gasol. They don't stop Joel Embiid near the, nearly as effectively as they do in the second round, which was maybe the difference in the entire series, considering in Game 7, Marc Gasol was just, like, like the, hanging by a thread to stop Joel Embiid and sort of the, the plus-minus numbers bear it out. And I think any slippage in what Gasol did against Embiid would have resulted in the Raptors losing that series. Like, it was that close. It was on that, you know, fine a thread uh, that series was. And so I think Gasol was a big reason why the Raptors won the title. I don't think they win it with Valanchunas. I don't think Valanchunas stops uh, the Bucks. I don't think he really plays against the Bucks. you know, in theory. He just doesn't feel like he fits that series. I don't think he would have stopped Embiid as much as his career. He's been okay against Embiid. He's not Gasol, and I don't think he stops Embiid nearly as effectively, and I, I, they just don't win the title without Gasol. So I get it from the Raptors' perspective. They, you know, There's a line you have to draw, I guess, at some point, and this was it, and that's fine, I suppose, and I think ultimately Wright, Miles, and Valanciunas are going to be okay. It's, I don't think this is going to be some sort of thing that sours their relationship with the franchise or anything like that. I think, you know, they they got traded. It's probably a bummer to get traded and then see the team win the title a couple weeks later or a couple months later, but if they're not part of the run, like, these guys are so insanely competitive. I could imagine getting your first championship ring. If this was, like, their second or third or fourth championship rings, respectively, then, like, fine, like, give them the ring, and I'm sure they'd be happy to have that extra thing in their mantle, but, you know, considering none of them has won a title, at least I don't think CJ Miles has won a title, like, if none of them has won a title, I can't imagine you'd be thrilled for your first championship ring to be one that you weren't actually even there on the floor for. Um, That's just me thinking, and, like, I'm not even a terribly competitive person. (laughs) I just think... You know that that's just that's how I would feel too. Like like maybe the guys are pissed. We haven't really heard much. I think Valanciunas last night just had you know as you would probably expect a, a very short sort of dry answer to when he was asked about this. Delon Wright seemed pretty unconcerned. Miles couldn't be reached for comment on the story. But like I feel as though 
they're probably going to be all right. This isn't going to be some sort of thing where like the Raptors' ability to recruit free agents is ruined or anything like that. I, I don't see it being that serious. It just would have been nice. You know, it would have been a cool you know, gesture with all of the celebration and all the happiness going around with this team, it would have been a nice gesture, a nice cool thing to see Valanciunas honored with a ring, but also Valanciunas is going to be honored other ways. Like, that guy's going to maybe have his jersey retired one day, maybe, or not retired, but honored perhaps, and he's going to have a big, you know, welcome back ceremony, I'm sure, when he comes to Toronto with Memphis in March, I think March 30th is when he's here. Um, like, there's still going to be ways to honor these guys and, and give them credit and, you know, acknowledge their role on the road to the the championship, and I think we're probably feeling much more in our feelings about this because we've already heard Valanciunas talking about getting a ring, and if that's the case, if, like, Kyle was going around offering up rings to people who weren't in line to get them, then, like, that's kind of a Kyle problem more than anything. Um, I appreciate him doing that, but, like, that's something I, I don't think the Raptors necessarily have to apologize for. Like, unless they were giving express orders to Kyle to ask for ring sizes to everybody and then said, no, actually, we're not doing this, then that's a little bit shady and ghoulish. Um, but I, I also feel like that probably is not what happened, and it might have just been Kyle being Kyle and getting outside of his realm of sort of... Uh, responsibility or his jurisdiction in asking uh, Valanciunas for his ring size. So I don't know. Um, I just it's something that I think will blow over, blow over pretty quickly, and there'll still be a nice ceremony for all these guys when they come back, and it'll be pretty and lovely. And Kawhi and Danny will get their rings, and that'll be great, and that'll be fun. So I'm kind of opinioned out on this now that I've uh, gone through it. Doesn't make me feel warm inside or anything like that, but it's also not the end of the world. So I think that's probably. A good place to leave this one. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Locked on Raptors. I'll be back again tomorrow with uh, Kelsey O'Brien. We are going to talk about the Hornets game. And uh, it'll be a fun one. So check out that probably around mid-afternoon on Tuesday. And uh, yeah, I'll be at the game tonight. I'll have a recap or something like that up for Raptors HQ at some point over the next day or two as well. So stay tuned there. If you have yet to buy We the Champs, you can still purchase it wherever you get your books. That is very much appreciated if you do that. And that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.